Welcome to another edition of the Two Off the Tee podcast brought to you by IB Sports and Club Junkies and sponsored by Sabbath Golf. Sabbath Golf channels the history of the game while enhancing the weekend experience. They have an amazing selection of hats, t-shirts, towels, hickory alignment sticks, putter covers, and even golf tees. Use the promo code 2 off the t with the number 2 at the beginning of that promo, and you will receive 15% off any purchases on that site. That is go to sabbathgolf.com. I'm your host, Keith Fleming. With me for the second time in three episodes, filling in for my normal co-host, Scott Porter, Alan, a.k.a. Ibezus. Alan, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm doing great. Awesome. So on today's episode, we're going to talk the WGC in China, uh, Rory's big win. Unfortunately for you, another second-place finish on your <laughs> winner's pick by Xander. Thank you. Uh, uh, Phil's. Sorry, buddy. Phil's top 50 streak ending, some potential Tiger Woods, Greg Norman beef. And since I consider you a gambling expert, I wanted to talk about golf future bets and if it's something that makes sense or doesn't. But do you want to start with the WGC in China? Sure. I actually followed the entire tournament, and I lost so much sleep. (laughs) I was going to say that – I think for most golf fans, this is actually kind of a blessing that this is the end of this three-week Asian tournament swing because, I mean, it's pretty cool that you can watch golf at 1, 2 in the morning, but uh, it, it'll wear on you. And the fact that I, I kind of figured it out near the end where I'd stay up as late as I could uh, and then I'd just record it, try to wake up maybe an hour earlier than I normally would in the you know, the next morning, and then, you know, you can fast-forward through commercials, the guys you don't give a shit about, and usually can get done with the rest of the, you know, the coverage in, in an hour or so. So you actually stayed mm-hmm. up for all of it. Yeah, man, I watched it all. Man. I know. <laughs> so uh, this was the WGC event, the first one of the PGA 2020 season. It's It's kind of confusing because – it's 2019. We're in the 2020 PGA Tour season. Uh, Rory mm-hmm. McIlroy picked up the win on his first playoff hole against Xander Shoffley after both finished the tournament at 19 under. The world number two made par on the 72nd hole after very nearly going into the drink on his tee shot. This opened the door for Xander, who made a very clutch birdie, uh, played the par five perfectly in regulation. That matched Rory at 19 under. This win was Rory's third WGC, technically his fourth win in 2019, even though, as I just said, this is going towards the 2020 FedEx. This win also moves Rory a little bit closer to number one in the world. Uh, It does move him to number one in the 2020 FedEx Cup race as he tries to defend, and more importantly for the rest of this season for him, into the top five, fifth place for the race to Dubai. That is the European Tours, basically, FedEx Cup. It starts this week at the Turkish Airline Open, and it'll conclude in Dubai two events down the road. The current top five are Bernard Weisenberger, you know, these international guys, John Ram, yeah. Shane Lowry, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and now Rory. Is there anything of uh, big significance from this WGC uh, tournament that you see, Alan? 
Um, I would say that um, I guess the biggest takeaway for me was that even when Rory's not at his very best, he can still win. Because that that last round, he, he didn't. I mean, he, he played well, but to me, Xander was the better golfer in that last round, and it, he just tricked it up on the playoff hole. But um, he was so close to um, to getting in the water on that last hole. It would it would have been epic. But um, I, I think that in some instances last year, when Rory wasn't always clicking on all cylinders, the putter failed him from time to time. And I didn't see that in this tournament. Um, I think he started round one. I think he started with like a couple uh, bogeys. But then it was just birdie after birdie. Like, he was just firing those things off. And and it was just – it was good to see. Like, he looked confident. Um, he never got too frazzled. Even when he was making mistakes in that last round, he, it never got to him mentally. And I think that's my biggest takeaway. Although, I don't know if Xander's the type of presence um, that would really intimidate Rory anyway. I don't know if Xander's quite there just yet. But Last year when he was matched up with Brooks and, and just in recent memory, some of the times when he's been matched up with other top golfers um, and they're breathing down his neck, he kind of flinches a little. I didn't see that this time. I I took it as just he he is the best golfer in the world right now. We had this discussion on the podcast a few weeks ago of, you know, who had the better season? Was it Kepka or Rory? And I actually argued for Rory, which I know kind of sounds crazy because Kepka obviously won a major. He did better in basically every major uh, this season, uh, had a realistic chance to win all four. But I just don't think it can be underestimated what Rory has done just in 2019. This was his 23rd event. He now has 17 top tens, uh, four wins, two missed cups, obviously won the FedEx Cup, player of the year 27 million and for me what's interesting is Rory and we even talked about this on the last podcast was so close to being the guy you know the the next tiger that's not even really fair the next big guy in golf and Mm -hmm. he he won those four majors in a two three-year stretch and then he he just kind of disappeared and and at times he seems disinterested there, in fairness, there has been a lot of, you know, especially early in the year, those top tens where, you know, he would be leading going into Sunday or right there going into Sunday, and then he would fall back. He also had some other top tens in the middle of the season where, and even last week, where he'd have like a bad first round or second round, and then he would go nuts, mm-hmm. you know, over the weekend to top ten. But I really think all this says that he's just rounding into form, and he's just becoming one of the best players on tour. Uh, again, and I am very hopeful that if Tiger Woods is going to play even close to what he played at at the Zozo Championship, and Brooks Kepka can continue to play the way he has the last two seasons, and we get this Rory McIlroy uh, this season, and then not to mention the guy who finished second. It cannot be like said enough that Xander Shoffley has turned into the guy who is always there. And he just seems to be that guy's going to go out and shoot 68, 69, no matter what. He outplayed Rory, uh, you know, on Sunday, as you said. I think he shot 66 to Rory, 68. Uh, the difference was he had the one bogey. I don't think Rory had any bogeys in his round. And if you get those four guys 
and then throw in obviously the other names because there's so many people on tour, especially some of these younger players. You're going to have some really exciting golf in 2020, and I just cannot wait for Augusta, where I think we'd have to say all four of those guys will probably be four of the top six, seven betting favorites going into that week. Yeah, so like the the thing about Xander that you and you touched on it too is it's just the bogeys, man. Like I've been following Xander since he hit the tour, and and I pretty much bet Xander. Xander is my Tiger Woods. I bet him every single tournament. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> the one thing that really hurts him is that, uh, and it's always like the ten foot putt. It's not anything too crazy. Uh, it's just always like the what I would consider like the tweeners on his on his putting game that he just somehow misses by like a a fraction. And uh, I would love to see him get that under control because honestly, the only thing that really stops him uh, from from really taking that next step in his game is the fact that he's known to give a shot or two back on the course. Like you know, it's a, it's like just to be a, a par saver um, would be so huge for him um, and his um, results. I think that honestly, these no cut events are really helping guys because it's it's not as much pressure, you know, like, you know, you're going to get four rounds. Um, so not having a cut line, I don't know if it really mattered for Rory per se, but I feel like people are like when Rory started with those two bogeys, like, uh, or when he w- was having trouble in the first round, I feel like him knowing in the back of his mind that it doesn't matter. I'm still going to get four rounds really, uh, helps him relax a little. Um, I will say that I don't think Tiger Woods, can compete with Rory or Brooks if they're both healthy on certain courses. I think it would have to be a course fit type thing for Tiger to really compete because on a course like we we had on um, this past weekend, like they would just out hit Tiger on with the driver like for days. Like he can't do that anymore. I don't, I don't think he's going to be around 315 and stuff like that consistently. Like Roy can smash. Like Roy can put himself in in positions for Eagles, same with uh, Brooks. Like, they can go for the pin on those par fives, and that would make a difference to me um, if they were going against Tiger Woods because they, they always have that opportunity. I think Tiger's game is, as far as the power goes, because that's kind of what he was known for early on. Like, everybody just – like, he was just a strong dude, and obviously skills and, and, and the precision, but – to keep up with these young guys, I don't think a, a larger course would really be in his favor. So, like, Augusta, he'll, he'll have a, obviously he'll always have a shot at Augusta. Like, he knows it like the back of his hand. But then when we get to, like, other courses where, where it's a little bit longer, I would worry a little. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Scott's made the comment, and even as the biggest Tiger fan, you have to admit that if it's cold – uh, if it's a golf course that you got to hit the driver until he shows us that he can't consistently, he just can't compete with these guys. But the good news is, is most of the majors is a situation with maybe the exception of the PGA where he he's going to be able to, you know, not hit driver as much. It's more emphasis on getting it up and down, iron play, et cetera. And, I mean, I really do feel like that Augusta, if he even feels like he has 80% of his game, I, I always think Tiger's the favorite there. His his track record is just too good. But it is very interesting to see what Brooks does there because he has had a very good track record. And Rory is the only person who really has, you know, I, I don't know if you have, have heard because I know you didn't get into golf until a few years ago, but 
I think it was like 2009 or 2010 when Rory was a baby. He had the lead going into Sunday, making the turn at Augusta, hit a drive so far left that I haven't seen it. I've never even seen that part of the property before on the telecast. He made triple. <laughs> I think he shot like 41 or 42 on the back. And since then has not really been truly in contention at Augusta. So it's going to be interesting if he can get over that bugaboo. But uh, interestingly enough, Rory uh, cannot be the number one player in the world by the end of this year. I don't know exactly how the point system works, but I did read that the earliest he would be able to, you know, take over from Kepco would be January, February. And mm-hmm. I still don't think Rory is the best player in the world right now. Who, who do you think is the best player in the world? Is it Rory, Kepka, or, I mean, even your boy Xander? I think that an argument can be made that the best player in the world hasn't really touched the PGA Tour right now, and I want to say that's John Rahm. Um, Rahm's been doing a lot of solid work on the European Tour, and, and I don't think people give enough credit to the European Tour. Um, and I already know he has a presence on the uh, on the PGA Tour, but he, he fits the profile of somebody that I think can really compete with Rory and, and the rest of these young guys because he's got he's got some power to his game as well. And um, I think the thing that really hurts him is he's a head case for sure. <laughs> like one errant drive or, or miss putt or something, and he might hold on to that thing for six more holes. Uh, but if he ever gets his mental together, I really think that he can make a claim for being the best golfer in the world. That would be the only one that I, I can think of off the top of my head that would be uh, argument worthy or you could make a case for I, I I love that case because I, I I've been telling Scott for a while that he is the European that I think is going to or not just a European he is the next big thing in golf that is not right now one of the main guys because uh, and again we we love to make fun of uh, some of the guys that, that do the telecast and stuff but I, I loved when I heard the comparison that you know John Rom just bullies golf courses. And that's the, that mm-hmm. kind of feels like it's what he does, you know. Is he just he just he hits it so far. He's, he's he's got a great game, and really his only, I guess if you want to call it downfall right now, and I think it's just something he hasn't figured out. He's 24 years old. Is kind of you know exactly how to win, and that comes with time. And then the other thing is just to keep his emotions in check. And I think those two things are, you know, connected. And it's something that is, you know, collectively kind of holding him back a little bit. But I, I absolutely uh, agree with you wholeheartedly. And golf's in a really good place. Let's go over real quick some quotes, uh, quotes from the tournament. Uh, Rory McIlroy said afterwards, it's a tough closing stretch. Even though there are holes you think you should birdie, there are dangers waiting around every corner. I played conservatively when I needed to, and thankfully it paid off. Uh, Xander was after right after said he tried his best. He played great. I beat him on the day talking about Rory to get into the playoff, and unfortunately I couldn't pull it off. I would have much rather played a par three in the playoff, which I thought was very candid. He went on to say he is the best driver in the world, and then he couldn't be happier for him. Uh, and then finally, Rory, when he was asked about catching Kepka, he said, I'm getting there. This win definitely helps. And if I can get another win by the end of the year, I will feel pretty good going into 2002, or excuse me, 2020. And Rory, I mean, he should feel pretty good. And I really do think Kepka has motivated him 
by going public with that comment. And we discussed that it wasn't anything that was necessarily inappropriate or wrong, and it was a fact. But you can't tell me if you're somebody like Rory McIlroy that that wouldn't have kind of, you know, got you a little, you know, red in the face and, and hopefully, you know, dedicated to let, let's go out and beat this guy on the course. Well, I'm going to disagree with so, uh, Roy um, on on his first quote because him playing conservative really almost cost him. And it actually, to me, made him play worse. Like when when you could tell he was just trying not to bogey, like his shots were getting more inaccurate. Um I feel like if he if he's going to take that approach, honestly, he should. If I don't know if golfers watch film, but if he if he was to like look inward and evaluate the tournament when he played like he was chasing somebody, he played well. When they got tied and they went to that uh, playoff hole, he hit the ball like he should have hit the ball the first time. But that's because the the match was on the line. Like, as long as he had that one-shot lead or two-shot uh, lead, like, he was just playing not to, to bogey, and it really, to me, it cost him because I felt like if he had played more aggressive, he could have ended that earlier. He could have birdied on the par three or, or um, even birdied out on the um, last hole rather than, um, you know, almost hitting it in the water. I just I just don't kind of – I don't really agree with that assessment. Um and then I want to note, too, that Xander did play, apparently, with the flu, so we got to take that consideration, too. Absolutely. Uh, so let's move on to Phil Mickelson, who is, if you've listened to the podcast, somebody that I've said over and over again, growing up being just a humongous Tiger fan, uh, I was not a Phil Mickelson fan. Uh, and between his social media and just respect for his accomplishments, it really started around 2013 when he won the Open, a tournament that I thought he had zero chance of ever winning with his game, the way he hits the ball high. He didn't like to, you know, play the bump and run game. But Phil, just recently this week, fell out of the top 50 in the world. It, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. He, he's really struggled basically since his win at Pebble in early 2019. You could argue he did the same thing last year where I think he won in Mexico early in 2018 and didn't do very well the rest of the year. But he saw the top 50 in the world for the first time since late November of 1993. It ends a historic 26-year run inside the world top 50 players. For perspective, Rory now has the longest streak and would need to stay in the top 50 until October of 2034 to surpass Phil, this is a record that may never be broken. It hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but it just needs to be stated that he was never number one in the world, and obviously that is a dent on his resume. But, again, when you have a guy named Tiger Woods who is inarguably either the best or second best player of all time with you, Basically, the entirety of your career, it's hard to get to that point. I don't think this is getting enough play. It's something I don't see ever being matched uh, because, obviously, injuries happen. Guys go through sling changes, slumps, putting woes. I mean, there's all kinds of things, and it doesn't – I mean, the top 50 in the world with the game global, 
and the mixture of guys from the European Tour and the PGA Tour that are in the top 50 in the world, it's it's pretty volatile. I mean, Tiger basically in a two-year period went from the number one player in the world, uh, or actually a three-year period, all the way down to in the thousand. Uh, so it is something that you can easily drop out of, and I just think it's an amazing record. Uh did, did you know about this before you heard this uh, this week? Or no, decided we're going to talk about it. No, I didn't know anything about it until until I saw the notes, and I was like, "Oh wow, that is impressive." I mean, honestly, Phil Phil's got basically the, the same thing that plagues every almost uh, or every top player who plays with basically a great of all like one of the greatest of all time in their respective sport. I mean, there's so many people that could could have the Phil Mickelson argument that played when Michael Jordan played. Or I mean, even now there's people who can make that argument playing while Tom Brady's playing football. Like anytime you play in an era with somebody that's basically an all time great. I mean Muhammad Ali did it to boxers in his time too, where there this one person is so freaking good that no matter what you do, even though he put, if we put Phil in other areas, if we put Phil, young Phil, in Rory's era or this era that we we are in now, he would probably stand out like a lot. But the fact is that you know life can be cruel like that sometimes, and and he came in when Tiger was around and, and when Tiger was at his peak, and I think. A lot of times that's the knock on Phil, and it's unfair. I mean, he's he's going against an all-time great. Like, we, we, I mean, it's, to me, it's unrealistic. Like, it's, like I said, the argument with Brady, the argument with Ali, the argument with Jordan, the argument with other people who transcend time in their respective sport, like, these people are the best to ever do it, arguably. So you can't really fault Phil, like, when you look back on his career – I mean, I, like you said, he never held number one. I mean, by the time Tiger was gone, Phil was old too, you know? Like, it's kind of unfair. His prime was, was going to get another person who just happens to be the greatest in his sport. You know, like, that's a tough that's a tough challenge. I, I love Phil. I think Phil's great for the game. I like how Phil has embraced that he's getting older in his own way. Um, his His Twitter account is absolutely hilarious. I think he's a great ambassador for the game, and I also appreciate that he does not hide the fact that he's a gambler, and I love that. I mean, in <laughs> his actual style of play now, like Phil will Phil will take a driver on holes where people are like, oh, you you wouldn't use a driver. Like I love listening to the commentary. Like, Nobody would use a driver. Well, Phil's got a driver. Well, I mean that's Phil, and then he just crushes it. He doesn't care, and I love the fact that um my favorite part of his game is his ability to scramble. Like it's just incredible. Like he's he's the only reason why he's not top fifty right now is because he's he's older and his putters kind of failed him a little. But like I remember Phil in his prime and even Phil in the in the twilight, he would get in situations where you're like, there's no way. Like uh, last year, I don't know if it was if it was at Pebble Beach, um, the tournament that he won, or if it was just at Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open, but he hit a ball that, like, literally was behind the stands. Like, I don't even know if a ball is supposed to go over there. And he somehow still managed to par that hole. Like, they had a they had a side bet in the actual live commentary on whether or not he would, he would uh, par the hole. And one of the guys was like, well, I mean, it's Phil Mickelson. Why would you ever doubt him? And he hit, he hit a shot 
that was like the most goofiest shot ever, and he somehow got in on the green and he parred that hole, and and it was literally behind the stands, like you couldn't see the hole. It was it was just wild. So, um, I appreciate Phil. I mean, I, I'm not even a, a big golf fan, you know. Like I said, I came in late, but I appreciate what Phil has brought to the game, and and I and I hate to see somebody like that not really ever reach the the highest pinnacle that they possibly could have been just because he played against Tiger Woods. He, I love what you're just talking about, about Phil, you know, the, the artist, Phil, the guy that can get up and down from anywhere, uh, you know, the rescue shots. And, and people forget that Phil was actually really the first top class player that, started the fad that has become what all the best players in the world basically do now, which is just bomb and gouge it. They'd hit it as far as they could. They didn't care where it was going. Tiger, when he first got on tour, actually drove the ball really straight uh, before his Mm -hmm. first swing change and even after a second swing change. And I really do believe he learned a little bit from Phil that, you know, I'm a good enough wedge player. I'm good enough around the greens where I'm going to play the same style where I'm just going to hit it as far as I can. If I'm in the rough, oh, well. If I'm in the trees, oh, well. It's going to be an advantage to be closer to the hole. And some of the mm-hmm. stats that, you know, people don't realize, Phil is a top 10 to 15 all-time player. Like, without a doubt, no matter how you list it, I, I don't think he can be any lower than 15. I don't think you could realistically make an argument that he could be any higher than 10th, but he's won 44 events. That's ninth all time. He's got obviously the five majors. He's one of eight guys to win three plus masters. He's one of 15 to win three or four majors. Unfortunately, this next stat, it's kind of not a good stat, but he has the most runner ups in a single major. And unfortunately for him, it happens to be at the one major that is keeping him from being the sixth guy ever to win the Grand Slam, and that's the U.S. Open. He has 23 top three finishes in majors. You know, I hear people talk all the time about Jack's second-place finishes. Well, Phil has five wins, so that means he has 18 other second- or third-place finishes in majors. He has 38 top tens. And to me, one of the – kind of like his, uh, you know, top 50 in the world streak coming to the end, it's amazing to think he has been on every U.S. President's Cup team and Ryder Cup team since 1994. And I didn't realize he's only been a captain's pick once. So he has played his way onto every one of those teams except one and has been a part of each one of them. Yes, you could say that the U.S. has not done very well in the Ryder Cup. Uh, I don't blame mm-hmm. Phil or Tiger for that. I blame every American because they've just been getting their ass kicked now for almost three decades. Uh, I don't think it's one individual player. I believe that's a team event. It's unlike your regular tour events. But I have really completely flopped on, you know, Phil Mickelson to where I used to say he was overrated. I hated his uh, mentality. And I do stand by the fact that he probably gave away a couple of majors because, like what you were saying, he always was going to be aggressive. He was always going to be Phil. But I always think back to, I believe it was the second Masters that he won, when he hit his drive right into the pine straw at 13, and even his caddy is trying to tell him, you don't have to go for this. But Phil knew that I can hit this shot, and if I do, there's a very good chance I'm going to win the tournament. He hit it between the two trees, stuck it to seven feet. and typical Phil fashion, he had been putting great, missed the putt, but made birdie anyways, 
and went on to win the tournament by two. And that was really a turning point in that round. He was starting to lose some momentum. Uh, he's just – he's an all-time great. He's definitely a top 10 to 15 all-time player. And I just – this needs to get more attention because, like I said, I do not believe this will ever be surpassed because it's just too hard. I mean, guys get injured. Guys take time off. Guys – stuff happens. This is a long time of being one of the top 50 players in the world and it needs more attention. Uh, let's move on to the maybe potential beef between Tiger Woods and Greg Norman. For y'all that have not heard, Greg Norman was doing a interview for a men's, or I think it was Lifestyle, or no, excuse me, Men's Health Magazine, and said that a lot of people don't know this. I love the way he started it. A lot of people don't know this, so I'm going to let people know it. But after Tiger won the Masters this year, he lives literally half a mile from Tiger. He got in his car, had wrote a handwritten letter, drove it to Tiger's house, which obviously has got security and gates and everything, gives the car to one of Tiger's security guards. Who knows if the security guard knew who the hell Greg Norman was? But he tells him to give Tiger Woods this letter. Uh, apparently, Tiger never got back to him. Uh, and... The shark obviously brought it up. Now, it needs to be said that he probably did that to get attention for his article in the magazine that's coming out. It also needs to be said that him and Tiger do not have the best history. He has said some very unflattering things to Tiger in his past, including that he felt like Tiger would never win another major, which he was not the only one to say it, but he was one of the first ones. This was, I believe, in 2013. He also has made uh, comments that says Tiger is intimidated by Rory, which is just no offense to Rory, ridiculous. Uh, And he's actually made several other comments. If you want to just Google Greg Norman, uh, you know, quotes about Tiger Woods, there's quite a few of them. I personally think a lot of this just stems from, if you know Tiger Woods, if you know his history, he is not the kind of person that forgives and forgets. Uh, Once you are on his enemy list, he is never going to let go of that grudge. I believe that's exactly what this is. I think Norman is still upset because the guys, when he was coming on the tour that were the great ones, you know, Jack and them were very receptive to Greg, you know, congratulating him after a win, bringing him in. And when Tiger came on tour, Norman and Faldo, uh, you know, Nick Price were the guys that were kind of getting older but still competing. And Tiger didn't want to learn from them. He didn't want to be buddy-buddy one of them. He wanted to destroy them. And he treated everybody the same, whether you were somebody who had won majors or you were just somebody who had just made the tour. I think that ruffled a lot of people's feathers, including Greg Norman. And I just I, – I think this is basically kind of a publicity stunt by Norman – And, you know, most importantly, I think it's one or, you know, or actually one of three things where he either, A, uh, wants the world to know that Tiger Woods is still not a good guy, Uh, B, he wants the world to know that Greg Norman is a good guy, or C, he wants the world to know both. Have I pretty much, you think, got this uh, this story down pat right there, or am I missing something? I think you're being too nice, man. Dude, he's pathetic. Like, let it go, man. Tiger doesn't like you. It's okay. You don't have to be liked by everybody. Let it go, man. Like, it's just ridiculous that he continues to do these things. I've never seen another grown man 
have another grown man's name in his mouth so much. It's got to be annoying. Like, Tiger, honestly, he's a better man than me. I would have just beat him up or told my security to beat him up when they see him. <laughs> like, it's annoying. I get it. Like, he's probably somewhat hurt because Tiger came in, like you said. He didn't, He didn't. I guess, play by the rules of, of, of the, I don't want to call it the good old boy network, but every sport has their way. He you didn't know, that they the do things. Yeah, yeah, basically. He just came in and being the uber competitor that he is, and, and honestly, I mean, I mean, I, I just feel like Norman's taking it to heart. I mean, we just heard that Brooks Kopecka ignored Tiger Woods' phone call, like to to uh, practice or something like that. I think it was like, um, was it during the PGA like championship or something like that? It was some goofy story where um, Tiger called him to you know work on some swings, and he was just more or less like, nah, bro. And it, and it happens. Like <laughs> this is just part of the game. Tiger laughed it off and didn't make a big deal about it. But it's like basically what Tiger did to Greg Norman, and Norman's been holding on to this crap for years, and it's just annoying, man. Like, promote your book some other way. Get your name out in the public some other way. Like, we don't care. We know Tiger's not a good person. He cheated on his wife. He slept with his neighbor's uh, daughter. He's done all kind of crazy stuff. He's been arrested for driving under the influence and all this other stuff. And, and I've read about, like, all the crap that he, he's done to people and how awkward he is. He's probably a bad tipper. We get it. We don't care. <laughs> we don't care. So, um, I mean, like, there's no other way to sum it up for me other than to say that I think it's just pathetic. And I'm not a Tiger sympathizer at all. I just really think that this is pathetic. I don't like that people build their names off of other people. It's just pathetic. I, I agree. It, it, it's like he wants to make himself the victim when revisionist history says, you know, you've talked a lot of smack about the guy. So now because you drive half a mile and drop off a handwritten letter at a security detail, you, you expect like a response. And if you truly want to mend the friendship, and, and I forgot to mention the part that he literally said, I don't know, maybe your tiger just doesn't like me. Uh, yeah, Greg, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And I don't think by coming out and making this public, when you've already made public statements without going to him, man-to-man first, that's not going to help uh, repair that relationship. Greg Norman is a is a great all-time golfer, but it needs to be remembered that he won two majors and is, before Rory McIlroy, I think the greatest driver of the golf ball ever. Uh, he consistently underperformed in, in majors, and when I say underperformed, it was in the worst way where he would have the lead and then lose it on Sunday, on Saturday. I mean, before Tom Watson in 2000, I think six or seven, Norman was in his 50s and almost won the British Open. And then on Sunday, he did his normal thing, which I'm not holding it against him for being in his 50s and, you know, falling apart. That is not unheard of. But, I mean, the 96 Masters is probably the worst choke uh, in the history of golf, maybe Jean Vandevelt would be ahead of him, but Jean Vandevelt was never the number one player it's, in the world for years it's at worse a time. Than I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I think it, so because Speed wow. Norman was number one in the world for years, man. Like he was anointed the guy. He has as many wins around the world as just about anybody, not named Jack Tiger and Snead. Uh, and 
he just could never do it in the biggest moment. And he went into the lead with a five-shot lead uh, in the final group with Nick Faldo, and I believe shot 76 or 77. And this was after numerous uh, times being in the lead on Sunday at Augusta. Jack Nicklaus's historic 86 Masters, the leader of that tournament on the back nine Sunday, uh, when Jack made his charge and fell apart was Greg Norman. And I mean, there's just so many examples of him doing that. And it's a shame because that's why he's not remembered as fondly. It's why people that are new to the game, you know, I, I can tell you didn't even know that that had happened. That's why he's kind of been no. forgotten. He got his two British open wins, but he literally is probably the biggest, what if or, you know, what happened or why couldn't he, you know, close the deal guy because uh, you seriously go look at his his win record in non-majors. He was, like I said, I'm pretty sure before Tiger broke it, he was number one in the world the longest period of time. Now, they didn't start tracking that until the early 80s, but still, I mean, that's a 30-year sample. And he was just, I mean, he overpowered. He did basically what Kepka, Rory, those guys are doing now back in the 80s and early 90s, which was unheard of, where he was one of the longest guys on tour and also drove it the straightest. And to me, it's just a little bit of, you know, bitterness. and It's just bad look. And best case, he's, you know, trying to do it to get some publicity for a men's health magazine. And worst case, he's just bitter. Uh, and it's just not a good look. And I truly believe that most of the golfing world, most of the world has gotten to where They've forgiven Tiger for his, you know, discretions, whatever you want to call it, and they just want to watch him play golf. And, you know, he just won a, a Masters. He's just made another win, and it just, to me, looks like you're just trying to kind of, I don't know, just muddy up things. And it's not a good look. I don't expect Tiger to respond. That's one thing that, you know, I love about him is that, uh, he rarely gets dragged into these things. He's just usually not going to make a comment. He'll be asked about it, say no comment, or I didn't see it, or, you know, whatever. And uh, Do you want to move on to Futures Bets, or do you have anything else you want to say about that? The only thing I, I have to add to that is if I show up to your house and you don't let me in and you send somebody out to stop me and talk to me, I'm going to assume that we're not friends. So. <laughs> I don't know how how uh, how he could have that habit to him and go. Maybe he doesn't like me. You think? Um, yeah, we can we can jump on futures. Um, I will say I don't make a habit of betting uh, futures in golf because um, most of the sites that I use, um, like they have this thing called dead heat. So if you bet on it and your guy scratches, they, you're not getting your money back. So <laughs> or, or withdrawals, you won't get your money back. So um, it right. is. Somewhat of a risk um, to bet futures, but um, generally speaking, when when we're talking about futures with golf betting, is is basically the majors. So I was looking over the Masters, starting with that first. Obviously, um, Tiger coming in, and this is from uh, mybookie.ag, so you can find odds everywhere. Um, I use an online site, but I'm sure casinos have different odds too. But Tiger's coming in at nine to one, which Mind you, he was nineteen to one, or six between sixteen and nineteen to one last year. Um, Rory is ten to one. The overall favorite is Brooks Kopecka at eight to one. Now, I will say, I think we all are aware Brooks is not the same Brooks. That is completely inflated, and I wouldn't touch that um, to save my life. But I was looking at other golfers that 
could potentially have uh, lower odds um, once the uh, Masters comes around. Uh, one of those guys is Justin Rose at 16 to one right now. Um, Justin, he's a solid golfer. He kind of goes under the radar from time to time. Uh, I want to say he's tinkering with his game a little, but I feel like it's by April it'll come around, it'll come together. And and I, I like him um, on on these tougher courses. I like him uh, when he's he's got to play against top notch competition. He doesn't flinch a lot of times. Um, at sixteen to one right now, I think you'll probably see him more around like twelve to one by the time uh, the Masters comes around. So there's some value there. Uh, John Rahm, kind of the same situation. Like I said, I I really think there could be a case made that he. Um, could be one of the best golfers in the world right now. It's not the best golfer at some point. What was his odds? Um, he was sixteen the, to one too. Yeah, he's sixteen to one too right now, and I think he'll be more of the twelve to one. The issue with Rom is that you know his head. He he's a head case man. Like you just never know. Um, Jason Day is twenty five to one. That'll probably be down a little bit too. Um, I know he made some adjustments um, to his game as well. I think he was working on that on um, the last two tournaments. And uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Alan lost power. He's going to be back on in just a second. Just going over what he was talking about, uh, future betting is really big, especially in basketball, football, even baseball. Uh, the biggest future betting you're going to see usually is over wins and losses, uh, so basically an over-under situation where, like, the L.A. Lakers this year, I believe their win total was at, like, 53 games. So you bet before the season will they win more or less games. Obviously, in golf, it's more complicated because I have not seen too many future bets that are, like, top 10s and top 20s. Actually, I've never seen them anywhere. So, all I've seen is you're picking a winner. Uh, I loved how Alan just went over Justin Rose. I didn't realize he was that good of odds. I I do think he will go down. If you look at his past history, uh, just in Augusta, He has been tied 11th in 2011, tied 8th in 2012, tied 25th in 2013, tied 14th in 2015, or excuse me, 14th, tied 2nd in 2015, tied 10th in 2016, 2nd in 2017, and tied 12th in 2018. That is what you call consistently being around. Uh, we obviously know Justin Rose has the game to win a major, as he obviously won the U.S. Open back in 2013, I believe. He's had second-place finishes, uh, three of them in the last four years, two of them at the Masters. He had one at the British Open. And he's really good in certain majors. Uh, lately, it, it's been more of the Masters and the PGA. Uh, earlier in the career, it was the U.S. Open. Masters, uh, and that's kind of flip-flop, but some of the other futures that I think Alan is going to get into eventually is it's just dangerous, as he was saying, that you have
Well, I'm sorry. We are still having technical difficulties. Uh, I am going to end this podcast prematurely. I feel sorry about that. We will have Alan back on. Uh, we may try to get together. Scott actually was out sick today and uh, do this again. I, I heard some static on my end when recording this. If that is the case where it's, it's basically hard to hear the actual podcast, uh, we will just re-record it and put it back up. If not, and it is okay, we apologize for the abrupt ending uh, to this Two Off the Tee podcast. But we will be back in two weeks. We will definitely cover future betting. Let Alan finish the rest of what he's saying. And we will be back the week of the Sea Island Tournament uh, to obviously give winners, preview that, and talk about what has happened in the world of golf in the two weeks up to that. Uh, if uh, you get a chance, please go check out our sponsor, SabbathGolf.com. You can use the promo code 2 off the T. That is the number 2 off the T. You get 15% off any and all purchases. And this has been a shortened edition of the Two Off the Tee podcast. I hope my regular co-host, Scott Porter, gets feeling better. I want to thank Alan for coming on, and I apologize. His power went out. That was why he lost signal so quickly, and he is not sure when that is going to be back up. So we're going to end this now. This has been a Two Off the Tee podcast. Please follow IB Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Please follow Club Junkies on Facebook. And please, if you get a chance, go to SabbathGolf.com for our sponsor, Sabbath Golf. We will see you soon. Keep it straight. Bye-bye.